See if he picks up. Oh, that sounds better. Yeah. What'd you do? I did nothing. Hello? Ryan Martinez. Yo, what's up? How you doing? What's going on? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great. Guess what? You're on Madcap. Welcome to Madcap DC. Ryan Martinez. I'm here with David Ross. How you doing, Mr. Oh, Martinez? Oh, snap. He got one of the Martinez last names, huh? All right. <laughs> <laughs> one sec. Let me get outside. The reception in my house is not so good. All right. You mean at our house? <laughs> yes, this is, this is true. So you're, t- you're, uh, you're talking to us from Domer Avenue? I am indeed talking to you from uh, the one and only Domer Avenue. Are you painting right now? I'm not painting, no. I was uh, just uh, untagging pictures of myself on Facebook. <laughs> Were there some new pictures of you drinking on Facebook? Yes. Yeah, the activities the, uh, on our rafting trip included drinking and picture-taking, and I uh, was happy to see that uh, I, I saw that I was online uh, drinking whiskey, and I uh, was untagging myself. <laughs> this is important because you're a teacher in the Montgomery County, Maryland school system, correct? And we need to maintain the illusion that teachers uh, live in school all the time and uh, don't do anything fun. So They live in school yeah. under the stairs. Of course, this yeah. illusion was crashed into a million pieces when, as listeners to Madcap will remember, we discussed you running into four of your students uh, at, Star- <laughs> at the Starscape Festival while shirtless and raging your face off. How was that? I was saying that that's what we call a teachable moment. <laughs> <laughs> a teachable moment as in don't look at my face and don't tell anyone that you saw me here. Well, the kids certainly learn something. Whatever it is, I'm not sure what it is. But, uh, <laughs> they, uh, but they definitely walked away with more than they uh, came in with in terms of their opinion of me. So. Well, that's good. That's hilarious. Yeah, it is. So, what's the what's the topic for this week? Well, we were just kind of bullshitting, and we were we're gonna have a filmmaker on in a couple minutes. But yeah. I was telling David about uh, I'm so grateful and uh, happy that you took up the opportunity to put a painting together, which will eventually hang on the wall of my new place in Philadelphia. Yes. I would like I you would... to talk just for a moment about understanding and harnessing instantaneous inspiration. It's really. It's... It's really when you um, when you know that it's there, you've pretty much got to go after it because a lot of the times we get an idea or we get some sort of thing. We're like, oh, I'll just come back to that later. And you, you have to frame yourself just like a dream. Like if you have a dream that's really vivid, you have to think about it and you have to write it down or else it really will go away. And it's the same thing when you, even if you have an idea that, that you aren't going to forget, you've really got to just jump on it in the moment. And that's what I did yesterday. I, even though I was sort of, you know, I was rushed to get out, and that's when we do our greatest things is when we're in a rush to get somewhere. So I just uh, threw everything on the canvas, and just nice. in, ten, in 10 minutes it was exactly there. So, Real quick, tell us about your uh, project at the high, school, the high school that you teach at with the ceiling tiles. What happens is all the schools are filled with these two-foot-by-four-foot white insulation tiles. And as most people will know, they're just uh, they're just hanging out on the ceiling. And I had seen a teacher have one painted ceiling tile, and and in an effort to uh, add just a little bit more color to my room, I very tentatively took one home with me and, and painted it blue. And then um, once I reinstalled it, I realized that I could work on another one and. And, you know, once one was up there, it was pretty much like anybody that gets a tattoo. You get one, and then all of a sudden your whole body's covered. Um, <laughs> the same thing happened to my ceiling. I just uh, started cranking them out and then realizing that I was sort of turning into a, a, a painting factory and then just started giving them to other teachers and 
realized that the reason I wanted to do it was because I wanted, I guess when you're making art, the main criteria is are people going to be able to see it? And in the classroom, because the children are required by the day there, you know that you've got a guaranteed audience. It's called and a captive then, audience. Yeah, it's very captive. And they're certainly trying to look at anything other than what the teacher's showing them. So I knew that I'd be having a lot of kids looking at it for a long amount of time. And if these ceiling tales stay for years, you know, that really can burn an impression into people's minds. And that it just seemed like a way to really be putting my art in a, in a place where I'd uh, have a guaranteed audience. And then it really had a... I found uh, I find that some a lot of times when you do the thing that isn't necessarily expected, that's when really you get a lot of good results. So, we're speaking to Ryan <laughs> Martinez. He is a vaunted member of the household at Domer Avenue, the home at which I currently reside, and he is a teacher in the Montgomery County school system. Ryan, before we let you go, um, you were featured prominently in a video done by another good friend of ours, Mr. Gabriel Silverman, with whom you attended um, elementary school. That's correct. So what did it mean to you, and what has been the result of putting your efforts in terms of art onto a video medium in terms of the little documentary Gabe made about you? Well, the thing about it is that art uh, is somewhat limited in the sense that it's only available to the people who can see it. Um, and that would be the people that are in my school. But because of this video, it's not only a way to show the project, but also a way to explain the project in a very uh, sticky type of medium. And I call it that sort of to quote Malcolm Gladwell because it's easy to watch and it's, it's, uh, the story really comes to you. And so having something, uh, a video like that, especially in this time when we can share videos so easily, um, you know, just it's just a matter of posting and sharing and tagging and whatnot. Um, it's it's been a way for me to spread the message of what I was trying to get across, not just to the people that can see the art, but to anybody that can see the video. And now people assume that you're a good teacher just because they've seen an entertaining video of you on the internet. They, they do. That's been a very that's been a very nice byproduct of this whole thing. Is that people you could sort of show them your soul. And when you do that, then they just assume that you know what you're doing in the other categories, which is really nice not having to prove your credentials in that respect. I mean, if you show that you're engaging and thinking outside of the box, people will immediately gravitate toward that. So Outstanding. And we hope for this video to get you some girls as well. Yes, that, we're, we're waiting for that to happen any day now. Thank you for joining um, us, Mr. Martinez. I, thank you very much for having me. Talk to you guys later. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Ryan Martinez. That was a good idea. I'm glad we had him on. Yeah, I know. Let's have him on again sometime in the future. What we do should. you say? We should. I like I like him. Get him unwound. All right, David. So who's our next guest going to be here on Madcap? All right. New Zealand filmmaker David White has a film called I Kill. Actually, do you know how I do this? Is it like 9011164? Boom. Good morning, Talk Show Productions. That I'm speaking. Good morning. I'm looking to speak with Mr. David White. Do I have the correct phone number? Do I have his mobile number? No, do I have the correct phone number? I'm looking for Mr. David White. Okay. Well, yes, he is um, sometimes in the sources. Sometimes he's on the shooting, so I'm not sure what is he doing at the moment. It's okay. The best probably to email it to him. To email it to him. Well, yes. we, have, we have a phone interview scheduled with Mr. White. Um, is it possible to connect us with his office? 
Well, um, he's not in his office. That's he's not in his office. Okay, that's fine. We have another phone number for him. We will try that. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow, did you hear that accent? Yeah. That was awesome. His accent's even better. <laughs> yeah, we get, yeah. All right, I'm going to try the second number. All right, now. hopefully this okay. works. All right. I'd like to speak to this guy because there's some interesting questions to ask him about death, like what fascinates people about death, why is it scary, why are you not scared of it? Exactly. David White, Oh, Mr. White, hi. My name is Daniel Bloom. I'm the engineer of Madcap DC. I'm here with David Ross. Good morning. Hi. Uh, hey, hey, guys. How are you? Oh, great. We're doing well. So you're uh, prepared to get into this little interview we have for you here? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Okay, great. So I'm going to put you on hold for just one moment, and David will be on in just a second, okay? Yeah, cool. Hello, this is another episode of Madcap DC. I'm David Ross. Riding shotgun is my Jesus who doesn't really believe in Jesus. Daniel Bloom. Shalom. And we have New Zealand filmmaker David White in the line from the land of Kiwi. His most recent opus is I Kill, a short film about death. It's evening over here in the States, but it's good morning over there. So rise and shine. How is this morning treating you, David? Morning. How you going? I went bowling last night. (laughs) You went bowling last night? How was that? I, do you know what? I think there's something about bowling, I swear to God, where you do the first game and you're like, sweet as, you're like, you break your 100, you break your 120, you know, you're in the 150. And then the second game, it's like you are tired. And so you get 49, like a little person that can't bowl, basically. <laughs> and you feel a bit crap because all the women beat you. And you're like, I don't understand. But I bet I, I, I look so good with my 150. Anyway, so I went bowling and I got drunk. And it was wonderful. I was going to ask you, is drinking and bowling as linked down under as it is up here? Oh, very much so. Okay, good. It seems like yeah. a universal pairing. Yeah. Well, yeah. What's the point otherwise? <laughs> you're throwing a big... I can't really... Like, you're throwing a big hunk of something. I don't even know what it is. Down an aisle that hits some pins. Uh, you you got to do something to make it better. I think People love me bowling, though. I think bowling gone. I think it's fine Italian marble. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're bowling. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what you're bowling at those white pins. Ah, oh, right. That's why there were so many chips out of my bowling ball. <laughs> it was fine Italian marble, and it's not, it's not hard enough. They, they need to come up with a better, better product, I reckon. It was ridiculous. Like, there were giant chips out of my ball. I'm like, if I was a professional bowler, I, I, I'd be, I would be disgusted in the in the way that this place was set out. I would have been like, what's going on? I don't understand all the chips. I mean, you see a person throw a ball halfway down, you're like, oh, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> All right, David, d- tell me about this film. Sorry? Tell me about your film, I Kill. Tell me, tell me, about, uh, tell me about Beetle. I come from, a, come from a small town, I mean, like, small, small. I mean, as in, there's about 50 people in this village, and my parents own this piece of land mm-hmm. out there. It's beautiful. It's amazing. It's by the mountains. You know, and uh, you wake up in the morning and you look out at this beautiful view of snow-capped mountains and cattle mooing. Uh, and then one day, when I was about 15, um, Beetle turned up in my house. And Beetle, I actually have no idea how he got his name. 
his actual name's Steve Tarrant. Anyway, he turned up at our land, and um, my father was like, well, we're going to go kill a beast. And I was like, oh, I'll come. <laughs> and so we, we got Is this normal behavior <laughs> in New Zealand? That's never come out of my father's mouth. Oh, really? It's not. Has it come out of your mouth? Yeah. I think, I think if you were from a farm, one day you would want to see where your meat comes from. Okay. Um, anyway, we get into this. We get into this truck. We get into his truck, um, and uh, not his truck. My my father's truck. His truck has a number plate that says "I kill" on it. I swear, <laughs> like that's his number plate. And you call when you when you call Beetle, you you know it goes to his answer phone, and it, the answer message is "Must be a killing. Leave me a message." <laughs> you know, he takes pride in his work. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so. We go out and uh, I say to Beetle, "Why don't we take my dad's truck?" He's like, "Oh, you don't want to, you don't want to like my truck smells like death because um, <laughs> you know it had a lot of blood on it and stuff, um, and, you know." And they can read the number plate and they go, "Oh, look, next guy sees an I tell. I better run over in the corner." Uh, anyway, so um, my father just points this beast out and goes, "That one," and there's you know twenty beasts in this paddock, and uh, Beetle just pulls out his gun and he just shoots it, and all the other cattle beasts just keep eating around this beast that just collapsed. And I was like, man, oh, man. And, um, and about, you know, so that was, you know, 15 years ago. It was my first experience of this way to kill an animal. And then I was shooting another doco in New York um, recently, and I was in this bar, and someone had said, hey, like someone had emailed me from New Zealand and said, oh, some people are looking for some, some documentaries. Like, we have really good funds in New Zealand for, for um, filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I should, and I went, oh man, I really want to make a film about about Beetle. And it really struck home when I was in New York that there's such this disconnection between food and what we eat and um, the life of Beetle compared to everybody else that I was surrounded by. You know, like this guy kills animals every day in his like for his living. You know, he starts at, you know, sometimes he starts at five in the morning and he doesn't finish killing until... Um, eight at eight at night, kind of thing in the summer summertime. Um, and so basically, his job is he goes to people's land. If you didn't get it, goes to people's land and he kills their animals for them that they want to eat. So as a farmer, I don't want to go and send it to the works and or the slaughterhouse or whatever and get my meat back from there. Like it's you know it's better to just have someone come kill an animal for you and thing. So I made a documentary about him. Now what's um, what's which, you know, what's Beetle's philosophy about about why does he like killing people uh, in their natural habitat? People? You mean animals? Oh, animals. <laughs> why does he like killing animals <laughs> in their natural habitat? I think there's a, a thing about it that um, basically it's the the most humane way to kill an animal because if they're just hanging out in their house by their house I mean the piece of paddock. Um, <laughs> <laughs> little cow has built a house. Um, <laughs> like, well, it's a clever cow. We better kill that cow because he's a builder. He's a contractor. Um, that would be brutal a- to kill a cow in a house that he built. If you have a cow that can build his own house, don't kill him for meat. <laughs> I know it's pretty amazing. Without even the opposable thumbs, his little <laughs> made his own little hoof, his little hoof hammer. Give that cow a contract. <laughs> Um, anyway, so his philosophy is that it's the most humane way to kill an animal because they are in their own habitat. They are just hanging out in their paddock. You know, like, he just kind of whistles 
or, you know, like does a little sound and they kind of look at him and he just shoots them in the head. They, they don't know what's going on. Um, and, and the thing about it is that if you were to get killed, you know, it's like a sniper, really. Like one minute you're there and the next minute you're not. So there's no real stress about it. Like if you, if you imagine if you were going to be killed as a human mm-hmm. and the difference between me standing in my room right now and a bullet going through my head um, and someone hurting me into, you know, going, hey, Jesus, wife, it's time to, it's time to die. <laughs> and then you getting into a car and someone driving to the place. The stress is being ridiculous. <laughs> and so... <laughs> You're and right. so the thing about it is, yeah, it's a nightmare. <laughs> you know, because it happens all the time. <laughs> um, anyway, so his, his philosophy is that if you can do it this way, why not? And it, the meat is better. Like, it tastes better. Like, there's no stress. There's no adrenaline in the, in the bloodstream. There's not getting into your, your meat. There's no stressing of it. Um, where's he shooting? And, uh, yeah. Where's he, where's he shooting? Uh, in? in the head. So, and he only uses a twenty-two, so a really small caliber, um, and it's just a twenty-two. And there's a about if you make a fist, and just the front of your fist, there's a place about that size on the cow's head that you want to hit it. And uh, if you get it there, it's all over nurse. Wow. So, how, yeah. how how many animals would you say were killed during the making of this documentary? Oh, a lot. <laughs> um, we basically. <laughs> We spent a week with him, um, and like what originally happened is we went um, we went to see Beetle uh, over a weekend. I was like, oh, you know, I think I could probably shoot this in, in, in three days, mm-hmm. and so I took a crew of three people, no, four people, up to, to Hawke's Bay with me. We got to Hawke's Bay, and it just ra- rained, and um, we got there, and I was like, I had this really weird experience where at one point because my i bought a cattle beast of my father because i you know i want to eat the meat as well and um i went to a paddock that had you know the view of the mountains and i I looked at it and i was like oh man this is where i want my shot to be and i basically decided where this cow was going to die anyway so but then it starts raining starts pouring with rain Mm -hmm. and uh and so we go out to the space this is the first time we go shooting and uh so we we head out anyway because Beetle calls me. He goes, oh, I'm going to go kill this animal because it really needs to be done. Um, and so we go out and, you know, the fog starts coming in. You know, he shot it and it's in this muddy patch. It's not in the pristine paddock that I had imagined because you can't see the hills because the, the clouds just come over. And this fog starts, you know, like coming in and there's blood mixed in with <laughs> the mud. And it was quite gruesome. Like I was like, man, oh, man, I cannot use any of this footage. Because it looks like this guy is killing animals in the, you know, rain while the fog's coming in and it's pouring down and there's mud and blood and oh, it was disgusting. You gotta, uh, you gotta, so you gotta send me this. This sounds, this sounds awesome. <laughs> you gotta send us this footage. Did you end up using this footage in the film? No, not at all. Because it was just too like that's not what I was trying to portray. Like the only reason he wouldn't even normally go out and shoot in the rain because he's like, well, if it's raining, why would I go out? <laughs> Makes no sense. Which is a great philosophy, in my opinion. <laughs> it's raining all the day off. Imagine if you just have to go to work when it was raining. Yeah, nah. Um, <laughs> it's a bit cold out. I'm just going to stay in. Yeah, right. um, no, anyway, so <laughs> we were like, 
oh, I can't use this footage. And so we played poker with my crew, you know, and I'm still paying the money. Um, <laughs> and uh, we played poker for the weekend. And then I was like, oh, we got, me and Paul were like, because we'd, we'd shot a little bit of the stuff, you know, and we had an interview with him and stuff. And Paul, my um, editor and, and co-director on this one, we Paul went to Wellington and we okay. started cutting. Paul Waddell. 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 Okay. Waddell, yeah. Uh, and we went to, and we watched this footage and we were like, we can't use this. So we went back to Hook's Bay, just him and I, and we spent a week with him just traveling in his truck because we were like, well, we're just not going to get the stuff unless we really immerse ourselves in his, in his life. You know, it's, it, you know, the footage we got was great, but it wasn't what I wanted. And so we, we started at 5 a.m. one day and before 10 a.m. we had killed four cattle beasts. Because he can kill a cattle beast, skin it, gut it, um, dress it, um, you know, cut it into quarters and have it on the back of his truck in 45 minutes. Wow. Um, and, then it go, and then it gets taken to a butcher where that butcher actually cuts up the meat for the farmer, which is a, a, another great experience, which I'll tell you about later. But, um, so we, <laughs> is that your next film, The Butcher? No, so we did four in the morning and then we went and shot a couple of sheep. Because he does pigs, sheep, cattle, anything you want killed, he will do it for you. <laughs> I know. Like, I like this guy. He was telling me that, um, yeah, well, he was like, I was like, well, what happens, you know, do people get you to do their cats and stuff? And he's like, if I turn up to kill a cattle beast and someone's cat is sick and they want to put down, I'll do it. Doesn't bear. Because you're not. Like, it's that weird scenario. You go, and one of the big things for making this film for me was like, I wanted to know if you're surrounded by death, how that affects your life. Um, and I was like, it must be insane. Like, you're, you're killing, you know, five cattle beasts before 10 a.m. And then you're going to eat it. Like, he would eat McDonald's and, and KFC and stuff. Like, we would kill these animals, and he'd talk about how it's the best way to kill an animal, and then he'd go have a burger. And me and Paul would be like, I'm just going to go have a salad. <laughs> <laughs> so, is that weird? It is. Anyway, you're how- this, is, this information about how to kill an animal and how it's the best way and he's like oh, it's for the McDonald's burger because it's awesome <laughs> it's awesome but, okay how many years has yeah, Beetle been doing this anyway uh, we started at the slaughterhouse um, a little while ago and then you know when he was 18 or 17 okay. and he worked there for for, um, for 10 years or something and then uh, he owned a butchery as well as a you know home kill because Normally, we have these guys around the country, and basically um, what normally happens is they kill the animal, and then they take it back to their own butchery, and they dress it, you know, cut it up themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and Beetle had that, and then at one point he was just like, well, that's just too much stress. Like, I've got to have a big shop, and I've got to have all this stock, and I've got to cut up animals, and I don't really like boning. I prefer to be outside. I prefer to be in a situation where if a rains i don't have to go to work yeah and so all he, one day he was just like i'm just going to kill animals that was it and so the deal for him is is that if he does his job really well he can take the meat to different butcheries around the area and that means they don't have to go killing um so he's probably the only guy that solely kills in new zealand like that is all he does hey. like, he's probably that that thing because he just doesn't like to be a butcher anymore he's like oh you know you're inside and it's you know, you'd have cut meat up, and it's not very fun. Mm. So, yeah, he picked he picked killing over butchering and making sausages and hams and things. 
<laughs> so you mentioned one motivation for wanting to make this film was the question, how does it affect your life if you're surrounded by death? So what's the answer to the question? What did you discover? Uh, I discovered that um, he is so used to it that um, I couldn't really get an answer out of him. Like I would ask him questions like, what do you think about when you're killing this animal? And he'd be like, oh, what am I going to do in the shed that night? Like, for Beetle, he has come up with this, you know, like, he knows this is the best way, and he's, you know, had these conversations with this in his head, and he's like, this is the best way to kill an animal. There's no better way, so what, what would it matter? Like, him being surrounded by death, I think it's made him slightly hard, you know, you know, you know, you have the term, you know, term hard in your country, like, yeah. it's a hard man. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I think he's a little bit tougher than than me, but in that regard. But I think at the same time, he, um, you know, I don't think it's affected him as much as you'd think. Does he have a family? What's his What's his home life like? Oh no, he's got a lovely wife. He's he's been married to her for thirty years. Nice. He's got two wonderful children, Randall and Regan. Nice. Double R's. Um, <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it until just then. Um, how how old are they? What 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 are they? Are they are they part of the uh, the animal killing world? No, not. It's pretty fascinating. Like I asked him about this, and he was like, because you know, Beetle for him, he he's like, I've got a good life because he does stock cars as well. So he does demo derbies and stock cars and okay. all that manly stuff that you do. Um, and you know, like he said to me, like his son's a mechanic. Okay. But he works for someone else. And he was like, you know, I tried to tell Randall, like, Randall gets a bit, um, you know, jealous because I can just be like, yeah, well, I'm going to take Friday off so I can go to this car meet and, you know, seven hours away. Uh, and he's got to ask his boss, and if his boss says, no, he can't go do it. And so even though his kids don't want to do his life, they're jealous of his ability to, you know, take days off work and. You know, he's self-employed, so he can just do what he wants, really. Yeah. As long as the farmer's happy, that's all he cares about. He missed that. So, problem. you know, I think they were really quite well-adjusted. You know, like, I really liked the kids. They were awesome. Um, you know, we hung out with them. I went to the stock cars because we were originally going to put some of that in the doco, but it didn't really fit. Um, and so we spent, I spent a, a day with Randall and, you know, doing stock car stuff and going to a meet and hanging out and watching people get smashed up in their cars. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Has your film gotten uh, Beetle more business? No one's seen it in New Zealand. Oh, really? It hasn't. Ooh. It's going everywhere but here, which is funny. I think that there's. I think New Zealanders are. I think there's a, a, a miss. Um, people think that people know about farm killing in New Zealand, and I don't think they do. And so we didn't get into um, the festival in New Zealand. Like, we got into Melbourne, we got into Silver Docks, uh, we got into about half a dozen other different festivals around the world, mm-hmm. um, like big prestigious festivals uh, in New Zealand. Uh, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's pretty fascinating. He has, though, however, the dear man, like, I, I, gave, um, I gave him a DVD, and I've only talked to him on the phone. I haven't actually seen him since he watched it. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's this part in the DV, uh, in the in the movie where Beetle goes. We talk about um, he talk about shooting an animal, and he goes, "You got to be confident." You know, I just like to um, pull a gun up and go, 
pow, 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 pow. <laughs> it's a joke, because he does it every time it's one shot. Um, and uh, well, I, guess I just get this text message back from him after he's seen the DVD. Because I, like I just sent it to him, so I, I you know, just got there. And I just get this text message going, pow, 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 pow. <laughs> pretty cool, Dave. <laughs> I go, I go back to my hometown and I see some friends and they've been like, they were like, oh, Beetle just came round. I'm like, oh, yeah. And he's like, it's got a film. He just showed it. We watched it five times. <laughs> and I was like, man, he's pretty proud of himself. And he's been showing people and that's the, that's the main thing, really. David, how have audiences responded to your film? Well, only one person walked out, which is pretty good. Bonus. Was, really? Did... Yeah. I know. Did you want to chase that person down and find out what was what they were thinking? Nah, I don't really care. Like they can, if they don't want to watch, they're probably meat eaters. They're probably eating a whole bunch of steak. They're probably going to buy a steak right then. <laughs> they were like, oh no, nah, I don't want to watch that film. I don't want to know where my meat comes from. But man, this T-bone tastes awesome. <laughs> um, like, <laughs> like uh, it's really funny when you are going. Oh man, only one person walked out. That's pretty sweet. Um, yeah. Like it's pretty ri- ridiculous. That's your measure, um, but people love it. Like I think there's a we, we made a like you know we we make a lot of um, a lot of films, and this one is for me. It's I, I'm, I'm remarkably proud of it. You know, it's from my hometown. It's by a guy that um, I find pretty fascinating. It's about a subject matter that people find quite confronting, even though we all love our our, our meat. Um, you know, like Paul, who shot it, um, you know, did a beautiful job of shooting it, and and the the beauty versus death thing really comes across quite well. Um, and people, I got an email from Paul because he's just been in Canada, so I went to Silver Docks, and Paul went to Canada, and he said to me, he wrote me an email um, after he'd been at some concert when he was really drunk, uh, and he was just like, man, oh man. Like, I've just been showing my friends in Canada, David, and all these people have just, like, loved it. I, you know, this is one of the proudest films that I've ever made because people, uh, even though it's quite confronting, you know, we really did walk a line that is um, quite hard to walk, um, you know, because there's a lot of death. In the first 45 seconds of that film, you see 10 cattle beasts get killed, yes, like, one after the other. You know, like, it's pretty brutal. And we didn't want to shy away from that because that's what... We life. do. And someone said to me, like, they were like, did, did all those animals actually need to die? I'm like, well, what do you mean? You're like, do we really need that much meat? And I'm like, this is just the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> I'm like, this is, the, this, is, this is for own personal use. I ate one of those cattle beasts last month. You know, like, <laughs> like I don't know what you're, what are you talking about? And there's just this, it's remarkably this desensitization between where you get your food and, like, the amount that it is, like, and where it comes from. It blows my mind. Like, when I was researching it, I found this great quote. It was like, why can't people just buy meat from a supermarket where animals don't get hurt? <laughs> you just go, you've got to be, you're a moron. You're, like, literally a moron. It's like, going, I don't... <laughs> Who's, who said that quote? Who is that person? <laughs> I don't know. I, probably an American. Um, <laughs> How come the film didn't have any black people? Because um, I only had I had a black cow. <laughs> That's a great answer. 
David is just trying to paint you into a corner <laughs> and give you an unanswerable question. Well done, David White. <laughs> Got any more? Got any more zingers? <laughs> some zingers down? Why are there no black women in this picture? <laughs> black women? <laughs> We just love black women on this show. Exactly. We love black women on this show. And, and and when I watched I Kill, I was like, you know what? There is, I don't see one black female in this. Black women are not gonna come to are not gonna come to theater to You're watch. Missing this. a key demographic. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Dave, it's all right, right? My creed is done. I was there with my market as well and I, I, I fully screwed it up. You'll never compete I with Tyler Perry there. now. Yo, so uh before you I know what? No, before before uh, before we get off of here, let's let's talk about some of your other uh, some of your other films. I have to tell you about my next film because it's it's so good, like it's ridiculous. Like bring it up, bring it up. We have this graffiti. We have this graffiti in this country, like, and I, for years I wondered what it was. And it was actually my sister-in-law who was like, "Man, do you know who this guy Lee Harrison?" And I was like, "The graffiti, right?" So yeah. So in our country, we have this graffiti all over the place that is. Lee Harris is a narc. Lee Constable Harris. Lee Fleeble Harris. And it's in like weird places. It's like in the Manawatu Gorge, which is this giant gorge um, on the opposite side of the road, so where the railway line is, um, there is this graffiti. So someone would have to walk on this railway line, you know, with a 100 metre drop downwards, um, to write Lee Constable Harris and Lee Fleeble Harris. And I was like, man, that's a mean vendetta. Anyway, so BBC have just given me money to make uh, a short doco on, on this. So we, we're about to start filming, so I start researching. And so I find, you know, Facebook, there's 1,300 followers of this Lee Fleeble Harris graffiti. I'm like, okay. And I find, like, I've just found his driver. And I'm like, who the hell, Lee Harris has a driver? He's no <laughs> diplomat. He's a politician. And I'm like, what does he do? Yeah, he's a gangster. I'm like, ooh. This is going to be real bad, real fast, isn't it? And he starts telling me his story. And I'm like, what do, you, what do you mean? He's like, oh, you're there at war with these other two guys, the Davies brothers. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, what? They're at war? He's like, yeah. One day, apparently, there's Lee Harris. He's pulling up to his property, and the Davies, Warren and Doug, they get out of the car, apparently, allegedly, and they shoot him with a shotgun in the shoulder. What? And so he jumps back in his truck. Yeah, I know. He jumps back in his truck and he rams the Davies brothers' truck, I mean, or their car, into a dam. He drives himself to hospital and he, um, he gets to hospital. And because it's a shotgun wound or, a, a, you know, a gun wound, they've got to call the cops. Yeah. So the cops turn up and he's like, no, nah, nothing happened. I'm like, what do you mean nothing happened? That means no sense. And he's like, we well, didn't, didn't talk. I'm like, well... Uh, the cops like, yeah. So how did you get that shotgun pellets in your shoulder then? <laughs> anyway, so the Damien brothers turn up, and they're like, oh yeah, Lee Harris has been using his vehicle as a deadly weapon. And I'm like, eh? and so they arrest Lee Harris, even though he's been shot for using his car as a deadly weapon. So then this war starts, right? Because you know, genuinely, when someone shoots you, um, and you, <laughs> you, um. You don't bob them in and so they don't go to jail. You tend to be a little bit bitter. <laughs> right. <laughs> if they're going to turn around and yeah. turn you in. I don't know if you guys have ever been shot by a shotgun, but I haven't. Uh, <laughs> Not I'm, I'm just going, hey, if that happened to me, possibly I'd be a bit pissed. <laughs> anyway, so 
And so this war thing, and look, this guy tells, I sat on the phone for 45 minutes with his driver, who's just dishing the dirt, because he's like, I don't like Lee Harris anymore, he's done. He's, he's it. And I'm like, okay, this seems ridiculous, because you're his driver. And he's like, yeah, I just want to get the story out there, he's not a narc. I'm like, but what? And what I found, you know, like, you're talking about a group of people that, you know, like, have gone to jail for manslaughter, people have been stabbed, People have been burnt down their houses and tried to, like, um, say it with some other guy. Like, it's fucking mental. You're just like, what? I don't understand. Like, this seems like this whole weird world that I'm about to walk into. Um, and the way that they just credit him is writing Lee Harris is a narc everywhere. <laughs> like, it's so weird. Who's the artist? So, I, it, no, it's... Well, I, know, I think I know who it is, but I don't want to say on... It's got to be the brothers, right? Or is it someone connected with the brothers? Oh, yeah, no, it's someone connected with the brothers. Apparently, they're paying people to do it. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so there's actually like a PR campaign. Um, like, <laughs> it's like a, yeah, it's like an underground gang PR... It's a great line. <laughs> PR campaign to discredit someone <laughs> through graffiti. <laughs> it's like, like it's like viral media. Can you... <laughs> That's amazing. I could believe it. Anyway, so what I thought was going to be like this nice little regional story uh, has turned into, hey, and someone said to me yesterday, he's like, my camera operator, he's like, are we going to die? I'm like, (laughs) fine, don't worry about it. (laughs) People are like, David, you're handling this very nonchalantly. I'm like, well, I don't really know what else to do. I've got to make the doco. Like, this is just too good. Um, but, uh, you know, be careful. probably best not to turn up to this block of land. Hey, it'll be a great story even if I get shot. Imagine that. I love Someone it. get shot by Lee Harris. The words of yeah. David White. Well, it wouldn't be awesome. Quote, it'll be a great story even if I get shot. That's the kind of documentarian I want on this program. <laughs> it's been great to talk to you, David. I, here's what I want to ask you. What is so special about New Zealanders? What is it about you guys that gives you this, like, fun attitude? You can kind of approach any situation with a smile and kind of a wise crack. What makes New Zealanders special? Uh, you know, life ain't too bad down here. You know, like, it's true. I think that you are in a situation where you live in one of the most beautiful countries in the world. You have the ability to actually just about do anything like it's it's insane um how close you can get to people that can make decisions and you know and so like from my point of view i just go i'm an incredibly lucky human being to get to do what i do um and with my life and i get to you know look at mountains and you know travel the world and I, it's just i think it's a really amazing place to live I just don't think we've got that much to complain about. I really don't. Uh, before we get out of here, is there anything else on the pipeline for uh, I Kill? Any more festivals you all are hitting up? Uh, I'm going to Melbourne in two weeks, in fact. Okay. And that will be, I think, my, la- my last travel for it. Well, hopefully, well, one of these days, Dan Bloom and I will make it to New Zealand to hang with you in person. Uh, until yeah, then, thank you so much for joining us uh, on Madcap DC, David White. Once again, it's David White with the film I Kill. We'll, we'll set up a link to it. David, you and I will be in contact soon. Rock and roll. Enjoy, enjoy the afternoon. Thanks, boys. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, See David. You, Have a great one. Bye-bye.
And so you have it, the conclusion of a conversation seemingly wide-ranging and yet utterly connected. An artist has an opportunity to affect the way an audience feels about any given particular issue. And if they feel so compelled, they can use their moment of inspiration and transmit that through an artistic process to actually affecting the way people believe and think. This is the power of the artist, especially the artist who is able to know their own power. Something that Martinez is doing a very good job at, something that David White is doing a good job at, and something that we should strive to do as well, both on this show and in our wider pursuits. Yes. There you have it, folks. (laughs) This has been Madcap DC, a project that we hope to have the same kind of impact that great artists around the world have been putting brick and mortar to since the dawn of time. I'm Dan Bloom. And I am David Ross. Thank you for joining us. And you can find links to and embedded videos of Ryan Martinez's art and David White's films at madcapdc.org. Thank you, people, for listening. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Two.